Welcome to Gratitude, the grad school guide for student physical therapists. I'm Sarah. And I'm Gabby. And we are two first-year physical therapy students sharing our grad school experiences to help PT students around the world. Embark on this journey with us as we navigate through the insanity of physical therapy school together. Are you struggling financially in PT school? Are you a PT student struggling to find scholarships? Not enough scholarships offered at your school. We have started the Gratitude Scholarship for PT students, no matter what year, no matter what school you guys can apply. We are raising $5,000. You can check out our GoFundMe link in the description and you can donate, apply, whatever, check it out. We are so excited to be giving this away in the summer of 2019 for our very first time. If you're enrolled in the summer of 2019, interested in applying for the scholarship, you can submit a video no longer than two minutes answering these two questions. What is your vision of physical therapy in the future? And what are you doing outside of the classroom as a PT student? If you answer these two questions and email us the video and submit it before May 1st, then you will be eligible for the scholarship. So check it out, guys. Definitely worth applying. It doesn't take long. We look forward to hearing all your submissions. Thank you. In today's episode, we talk with Danny Matei, who is a cash-based PT in Atlanta, Georgia, and he is the host of the PT Entrepreneur Podcast and has the Gym PT Blueprint. Yeah, so for those of you who are interested in starting your own cash-based practice, the Gym PT Blueprint has everything you need to know about how to start, run, and grow a cash-based clinic in a gym. And we explore how he got started as a cash-based physical therapist and the journey of entrepreneurship. And we also touch on health insurance as well as advice for PT students and more. Enjoy the episode. So welcome to the podcast, guys. Today we have a very special guest. We welcome Danny Matei. What's up, guys? How's it going? So glad to have you on. Honestly, when I first sent your wife an email to like get you on, I didn't expect a response so quickly. You guys are on top of things. Well, we, we try to. I mean, you know, the thing is, it's important to be responsive. Honestly, I think that we get a lot of emails and it, um, which is not a bad thing, I guess, is better than getting no emails. But, but um, you know, it's, it's important to try to be mindful of other people's time. So something we try to, we, we spend a lot of effort and time on trying to just be punctual. I think this is like probably the easiest way to be successful if you go into a practice as well like it, it surprises me how often somebody just doesn't respond to somebody interested in working with them and it, it's crazy it's like you're just losing business by not actually taking the time to respond to somebody that has interest in wanting to do anything with you so for sure I appreciate the opportunity to jump on the podcast yeah of course and we just want to hear first of all what are you doing in your PT world right now well my main focus in the PT world right now is really transitioned into um education from a from a business standpoint which is kind of ironic because when I when I got out of the army my whole intention uh was to sort of do like a little bit of business like cash PT stuff on the side and just teach for mobility wad full-time and and teach you know movement and uh mobility stability mechanics all that just movement-based provider approach 
And I, I did that for years. And then I started realizing that like our practice just kept getting busier and busier. And we started focusing more on that and, and realized how little we actually knew about business and how little our peers knew about business. Um, and if we really wanted to be able to impact more people and scale to multiple providers so that we could, you know, handle seeing more, more people, we had to understand some basic principles when it came to business. And those really fall into a few categories of sales, marketing, people, so hiring and processes. So how do you systemize and process and put processes within your business so you can scale past just yourself? And as we started to start to delve into that, we realized that in order for us to make the biggest impact we could on a profession, it probably was in the realm of helping other people scale their practices, not just us grow ours, you know, as big as we could. Um, and then that's sort of where the transition occurred for me about a, about a year and a half ago, uh, and really started focusing more on helping our profession improve their skill set in business, not just improve their clinical skill set, which I think there's a ton of great information out there for that already. I saw sort of a gap when it came to understanding the business slash entrepreneurial side of what many of us are trying to do. Yeah, definitely. And there's such a need in our profession for that, especially when it comes to, I think, like PT students as well, because there's not as much emphasis on the business and marketing side, especially. And so I think that's it's so important that you have that and hopefully something that, you know, schools can implement in the future. Yeah, that's great. I think so. You know, the, the, the challenge with school is schools, you're there to learn how to pass a test. Like you have to pass the, the national boards in order to be able to function as a clinician, right? So their main goal is to get you to pass a test. And, um, and I understand that. And so there's, there's, they're limited for sure. The other thing is not everybody really wants to be an entrepreneur or go into business for this. And plenty of people want to work for other people. So I, I don't know if school is necessarily the place where that problem is going to get solved. It could be potentially an elective. I think it's going to really have to come down to putting information out that people can easily access and digest. And if they're interested in learning about it, they can. Like I, I'm, I was shocked at how many students actually I've had reach out to me about um, you know, things that we're talking about from a business standpoint, in particular cash PT. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, you know, five years ago when we started our practice, which there's plenty of people who started practices before us, um, you know, but even like five, 10 years ago, it was very scary to think about going that route. And now the model is sort of improving in multiple places by multiple people. And uh, it's shown that you can scale past just one person. So less people are afraid to do it, um, which is good because now more people are kind of going into practice for themselves in these micro clinics, these sort of niche clinics. And, um, you know, our profession is evolving in front of us. That doesn't even include the online business side of things, digital business side of things. Like I think the landscape of entrepreneurship within our profession is is going to have just so many opportunities and, and, and varying opportunities at that to where you can really decide what you want to work on, who you want to work with. And if you understand how to, you know, find those people, who are they are, what are their problems and where do they congregate or, you know, where do they hang out? And you can speak to them about those problems. You can find a lot of clients that are ideal for what you want to do, whether that be online or in a brick and mortar location or a combination of both, which, you know, for me, I think is, the future of, of entrepreneurial profession in the PT realm, in my, in my opinion, from what I've seen, is a mixture of both. It's doing some stuff digitally, doing some stuff brick and mortar, and having a lot of variation in your day, which is great from a, you know, not burning out standpoint. And I think that's why a lot of people, you know, find the appeal in 
being an entrepreneur because no day is the same. And I think that's such a huge part of it. And for people who do want to start going down that path, can you tell us a little bit about your story? When did you first know that you were like an entrepreneur? I don't know if I could like say that it, I just like all of a sudden realized, I think that it's something that, um, you know, when I, I decided to get out of the army to open a, open a practice and, and teach for, for mobility wad that I don't even consider, a, a, you know, myself an entrepreneur at that moment. I, I think it's something that, um, I guess I turned into one, but, uh, it's, it's really, you know, the, I think the word is like really sexy. Now people are like, yeah, man, I'm an entrepreneur, which in many cases means that you're broke and you live at home with your parents. Like you, you just, <laughs> you're self-employed and it's not working you can be an entrepreneur if that's the case, you know, but really it's, it's somebody that's willing to take a chance on themselves to be able to tolerate the risk associated with that. You know, like I think that is the one variable that people are unfamiliar with, you know, this idea of, yeah, I'm going to go out on my own. I'm going to do my own thing and I'm going to be self-employed. I'm an entrepreneur. Like I'm free, whatever. That's just what you do is you end up paying yourself half as much and working twice as twice as much for about two years uh, before, you know, you really get to a point where, you can take a breath and the daily level of stress associated with being an entrepreneur is just something that you get used to. You know, I had this conversation with, with, uh, Kelly, uh, Sturette recently, we were just chatting about the, uh, book that I had just written. He wrote the forward to it and he was talking about like, just, you get comfortable being uncomfortable, but it doesn't necessarily mean that your day gets less stressful. You just get better at tolerating and handling that. Uh, so aside from that, the positives really are the fact that, you know, you do get ultimate say over what you do. So that's a, a really good thing if you're intelligent about the decisions you make. But it's also, you know, you can crash and burn pretty easily because it's all on you and there's nobody you can blame. You, you know, you can't blame the government. You can't blame some other person. You can't blame your employer. It's it's you. So whether positive or negative, and if that sounds appealing to you, then you're probably a somewhat crazy individual like myself and you probably should become an entrepreneur because you're going to be really bad at being employed by other people. Um, so, you know, I think that the idea of becoming an entrepreneur, I mean, it really just depends on your willingness to take a chance on yourself and your ability to tolerate risk and on the, the unknown that it is very scary, I think, for a lot of people starting out and you just kind of get used to it. Yeah. And I think that is a big factor. Like, like you said, the ability to like handle all these different stresses and take a risk on yourself and actually manage your own responsibilities. And I think that's like the biggest difference between entrepreneurs and non entrepreneurs. Like how do you, how do you kind of tell somebody, people ask you questions all the time, like, Oh, how do I get into cash based PT? Mm-hmm. What if it's not for them? Like, how do you know, do you kind of ask them certain questions? You know, I don't know if you can tell quite that easily. Honestly, like there's a, there are certain personality traits I think are very helpful to starting a practice. Like having high amounts of emotional intelligence is really helpful. Being able to like, being able to communicate and engage with people is incredibly helpful in starting any business because, uh, you know, really sales is what drives the business to begin with. And that's, that's, new patient acquisitions is technically marketing, but it's, it's, it's selling yourself in a cash uh, practice is legitimately sales. Like, uh, and salespeople typically are people that have high emotional intelligence and they're good with people. They're good at um, 
you know, engaging with varying diff- different types of people. I think that's a great skill set, sort of like a superpower. But not everybody that I've worked with in the capacity of helping them build their practice has that. You can learn that skill as well. They may be better at other things, which is maybe they're a little more organized or a little sit more systems driven. They're a little more risk averse. So, you know, they may go about things a little, a little slower, slightly different. Um, so, you know, I don't know if you can say like one person it works for and it doesn't, they just maybe have different paths to the success of, of their practice. Um, but you know, it, it, it really comes down to understanding what your strengths and your weaknesses are and how to best leverage those, you know, and this is where it can get a little bit challenging. It's one of the reasons why, you know, we've seen our, the transition from us working with people to, to having a, more of like a group setting as we were, we're helping people develop their practices within our mastermind. And what's interesting about that is you start to see uh, that all these people have slight differences in their, in their personality types. And yet they can make it work in different locations in the country and different niches and all kinds of stuff. Because what it really comes down to is, you know, do you, are you a good clinician? Do you care about other people? Do you make long-term decisions for them? And are you, are you good enough at the business side to where you can help create an actual business that can be you know, built up. Um, and, and that's all stuff that, that can be learned. So I think it really just depends on someone's uh, willingness to learn and progress. And you'd be shocked at some of the people that we've seen, even in a year, like people talk about personal development as if people that need to work on personal development have a lot of problems. Like they have a lot of I don't know, internal issues and they had an issue with their parents growing up and you know, whatever, somebody yelled at them too much as a kid. But the reality is everybody can progress. And where I was at a year ago and where I am today is hopefully significantly different in the way that I view the world and the way that I handle objections and the way that I handle stress. And if it isn't, then I have not progressed as a human being. My business will suffer for that. My relationships will suffer for that. So personal development and being coachable is that one skill that I think is the driving factor to success within our field if you're going to go into business for yourself and frankly, within your clinical skill set as well. So, you know, I think that's probably the biggest thing. you got to be able to understand that you have to continually progress because if you stay where you're at right now you're not going to be very helpful to yourself or others around you going forward yeah definitely you cannot be stagnant i think that's so important just to evolve and grow as an individual you know as and as a clinician as well but kind of jumping back to pt school where did you think you would be after pt school i thought i would still be uh, you know, active duty in the army. I, if you'd asked me while I was at Baylor, what I was going to, where I was going to be in 10 years. So I graduated in, in uh, 2010. So I guess it's going on nine years since I, since I've, uh, you know, been, been out of Baylor and uh, for sure, uh, you know, my, my goal was to graduate, go to a brigade, which is what happened from there. Uh, move over to a special forces group as a physical therapist. And that would have been my transition. That's, they dangled that in front of me as I submitted my paperwork to get out of the military. And um, I decided not to go, that, to go that route because I had other things that I was interested in doing. Um, and I'm thankful that I decided to make that decision instead of staying in. Honestly, as I learned a ton from being in the military, but if you'd asked me while I was in school where I was going to be nine, 10 years out, it was hopefully I had pinned on major. I had you know, been to a brigade, been to a special forces group and was working my way towards uh, going to a PhD program. That's what I wanted to do while I was in school. And, uh, you know, it's funny that sometimes it just, it changes in what your interests are and what, how you feel like you can best, you know, utilize your skill set. So that's, that's what I was planning on doing. 
Yeah. And what setting did you find most interesting during PT school? Um, you know, I got, I got to spend a lot of time at a place called the Center for the Intrepid, which is a huge amputee rehab center in San Antonio, Texas. It's really cool. It's got, you know, one of the better biomechanics labs in the whole world, probably. I mean, it's, it's insane, the stuff that they have there. Um, and there was a really cool uh, mentor that I had there. His name's Johnny Owens. He's actually the guy that has gotten really into blood flow restriction training and Owens recovery science. And, um, you know, he had just sort of started dabbling with that, like right after I had left, but he was doing a lot of functional training with limb salvage patients and amputees and uh, really treating them like athletes. And that was a really cool setting for me to, to start to delve into a lot of like the more sports related side of the kind of movement capacity stuff that we didn't really learn in school that, that I started really, uh, you know, going down the rabbit hole on as I graduated. And um, that was a cool setting. I think, you know, if anybody has an opportunity to spend a little time at the center for the intrepid, it's a pretty amazing place. That sounds so cool. I don't think I've ever heard of that one in particular, but yeah, working with like different populations. And right now, what is your main population that you have been working with? So we work primarily with, you know, kind of middle-aged active adults. So anywhere between 30 and probably 55, 60 is, uh, is the average kind of demographic that we see. We see a lot of youth athletes. So I, I, I have clinical schedule, um, to like really one and a half days a week. So I have 11 to 12 open spots a week between two days. And uh, so what I, I typically see people that I've seen for a long time that I probably couldn't get rid of if I wanted to uh, at this point, you know, they just, we've had a long-term relationship that's more about being proactive than reactive, which is awesome. Um, but in our practice, we primarily see active adults that are, you know, trying to either continue to train, work out, run, uh, you know, play a sport. Uh, and we see a lot of youth athletes that are dealing with an injury or trying to improve performance from, you know, for sport purposes as well. So it's, it's a fun population to work with. We don't see any Medicare, Medicaid, we don't see any work comp, um, personal injury cases. We don't mess with any of that stuff. Anything that's going to require us to jump through hoops, we don't want to mess with. We just want our staff to be able to, you know, work with people that are highly motivated, that are fun to work with, that are interesting. Like, it's funny just how interesting the people are that we get to meet. Just, you know, it's, it's, and the relationships you get to develop because you get an hour with everybody every time they come in. So you get to learn about, you know, how they went down the road they did in their occupation, the things they like to do, their family, their dog's name, you know, like you name it. It's, it's, it's a lot of stuff. I we had, and we have a vet client of ours. She'll bring her 14 year old French bulldog in occasionally because she wants us to dry needle her hips, you know, and like sometimes that happens, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's fun to have like a varying degree of people that you work with, but uh, for them to all be motivated and know that what you tell them to do, they're going to do because they've got skin in the game and they trust your opinion and, and uh, it's very transparent. So there's no, I don't know, there's no insurance involved, which really honestly is not good. It, it's a problem that is, I don't know, a necessary evil, but it's not good for the consumer. It's not good for us. Providers are getting paid less. The consumer is having to pay more, you know, so where's all that money go? Well, it goes to the insurance companies, you know, uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield had a $457 billion revenue year um, two years ago. I don't know what it was last year. It's probably higher than that. That's a lot of goddamn money that we're spending for nothing. I don't know if you have realized just how poor people's health insurance is now, but it sucks. It's a terrible problem. And, you know, for us to be able to not have to deal with it is really, honestly, it's, it's a best case scenario. And our people that we work with get 
our undivided attention and they get our best efforts every single time. And we do what's best for them, not what insurance tells us we can do. Yeah, that's pretty great. And especially the clientele that you have working with inspiring and motivating individuals every day who inspire you too. So that that's so great. I can definitely speak on the insurance side because I was a front desk manager for a clinic that I worked in for about six months. And at the time, you know, I was trained to learn all of this, but it was super overwhelming for me. And I hated to be the person to say, oh, by the way, your insurance ran out or ran out, or we have to submit for more visits. You won't be able to come for another week or two. And I've learned a lot from that, but I personally do not want to do that as a future clinician. I just know having that experience that it's not, not a fun conversation to have. So what you probably learned is that insurance sucks and you learn that, you know, in a really unique way that a lot of people don't know. And in fact, most people that we see in our practice, they think their insurance is going to pay for something, you know, and when we even do something as simple as like an insurance verification to see what their deductible is, what their coinsurance is, what their out-of-pocket maximum is, all these things that, that they think they have, you know, a $50 copay, like a $20 copay is unheard of now. It's very rare. Normally, it's going to be somewhere between maybe 30 and 60, sometimes more dollars per visit. And that's if you've met your deductible, right? So the average deductible that we're seeing now is going to be somewhere in the range of three to $6,000. You know, we see people, I, I saw somebody that in, we did insurance verification on last week and it was like $14,000 was that person's deductible. And, you know, it was, this was uh, in December and they hadn't even met it. So we're like, dude, you're not going to, you know, you're not meeting this. And you think that we're expensive so we charge $200 an hour and people hear that they're like, oh shit, I thought I had a $50 copay. Well, potentially, if you've met your $14,000 deductible, you have a $50 copay. But if you go anywhere else, and I can tell you from experience, there's practices here in Atlanta that are in network and they have hospital contracts. And because of that, they actually get reimbursed really well, but they have to charge everybody the hospital contracted rate. So there'll be somewhere between $350 and $400 a visit if you go and see that clinic until you've met your deductible. And the way that it's pitched is, well, once you meet your deductible, then you only have this. It's like, yeah, dude, but you only, it's like you only win if you lose. Would you rather not deal with that and have to, have to meet that amount of a deductible? So the conversation is getting easier. People are understanding the fact that they're going to have more skin in the game and they're, they're informed consumers. They're looking for a place where they're going to get the best bang for their buck. They're going to get the most, quality. They're going to be seen for potentially the fewest visits or the fewest visits needed and not necessarily try to get squeezed by, oh, you got 30 visits that are approved. We need to see you for, guess what? 30 visits. It's like, oh, that's a bullshit prognosis. Let's be honest. Like we probably need to see you for X number based on what we see because that's how many we need to see you. Not because I'm trying to keep my lights on. It's because ethically that's my medical opinion. And we all have to abide by that. There's no way around it. Whether you're in business for yourself or not, you have to understand like that comes first and more people are moving away from it. You know, it's never going to go away for sure, but our profession as a whole, I think is sick of it. And I think that people are sick of it. Frankly, insurance, nobody likes it. They realize it's not a, it's, they're not your friend. They're not my friend. They're nobody's friend. They're just there because we need it. And they make a ton of money off of everybody and, and everybody sort of gets screwed by them um, in the process. So, you know, people are moving away from it. So we have an opportunity to develop these niche practices that can be very profitable and can be solid businesses, 
and help people in the same capacity and honestly help them get the outcomes they want, which is not necessarily, it has nothing to do with insurance. It has to do with what they really are looking for, which is a transformation to whatever it is that they're having to avoid and get back to those activities or the things that they enjoy. Yeah. And I think a lot of PTs now, I like what you said, you know, everyone's sick of it. And I think everyone is kind of moving towards cash-based PT because of that. Um, we were just talking with Dr. Jen Esker last week, whenever that was. And she was saying like about how she doesn't deal with insurance either. It's just shitty. Like nobody wants to handle it. Yeah. No, well, it, it they don't. Um, but the reality is like, if you look at, if you look at like big practices, okay, what we consider like PT mills. So I sort of have, I have a problem with two different groups. One is insurance companies. I don't think they're, I, I, I don't, I don't think anybody's really going to take their side. The other one is PT mills. These, these corporately owned high volume PT practices that are essentially throwing primarily new graduates into settings of, you know, 20 to sometimes 30 plus visits a day. You know, I talked to, I talked to a PT here that was leaving a practice that was seeing 35 to 40 visits a day with one athletic trainer as uh, assistant. And she's only been out of school for two years and throwing them into these situations where they get burned out. They honestly start to rethink if they should have even gone to PT school. They start to question their career decisions and uh, start looking for other things to do. So then they move on to home health or they move on to, you know, travel PT, which the reason that those pay more is because nobody wants to do that shit. You go to travel PT, you're just going to get sent off to podunk wherever because no one wants to be there. You're going to take a three month contract and they're going to move you somewhere else. And what you really want to do is work with people that, that want to get better and you want to work with them in a reasonable amount of time and, and be able to honestly use your skill set the way that is designed. So those two groups, I think, have a lot of negative impact on our profession. And I'll tell you my opinions and, and I take the, you know, whatever, I'll take the flack for it. I don't mind that one bit because I honestly do feel like that is going to have to change in some degree, uh, just to some degree. And it's happening now. So, you know, really these PT mills primarily are owned by private equity companies. They care about revenue. They care about return on investment and they don't give a fuck about you, frankly. And they'll change you in or out for the next new grad that comes out because they know they'll get in for two years. They'll be super profitable and pay them like crap. And then they'll move on to something else and they'll just plug somebody else in. So, you know, be aware of what you're looking at in our profession because um, the more informed you can be, the better decision you can make about where you're going to work and hopefully find a place that can be a long-term decision for you to, to, to really have good mentorship and, you know, make a good living, but also have satisfaction in what you do day to day and not dislike what you do and hate driving to work. Yeah. And after your transition to cash PT, what do you wish someone would have told you before you took that leap? Oh man. I wish somebody would have told me to not like let my health deteriorate to the point that I did. So, you know, I, I it's funny. I, I was talking to one of our mastermind members, I guess it was like two weeks ago. And he told me, he was like, man, I just, I feel like I'm trying to do some workshops and they're not really working that well. And I said, all right, well, how many did you teach over the last, you know, three months? And he's like, well, I taught three. And I started laughing. I go, that's not enough. It's like, dude, you need to be teaching like four a month. What the hell's wrong with you? You know, like you got to get out there. And I showed him my schedule from July or June of 2014 when we started our practice. In June of 2014, I taught seven workshops and I taught in three different cities for Mobility Wad. 
you know, all, all, all within one month. So, you know, that as much as that helped springboard our practice and, and it's positive to be willing to put the amount of work in that you, you somewhat have to, at the same point, it's easy to burn yourself down physically and mentally. And over the course of about, I guess, like a year and a half to maybe two years, you know, my health got really bad. Like I looked okay out from the outside, but like I was very short tempered. I wasn't sleeping. I, I wasn't recovering very well when I would work out, which was occasional. I, I would be sore for like three to five days. You know, like I just, I was eating like crap and it was just a sort of a vicious cycle because the only thing I was focused on was making sure this thing that I didn't know would work would actually work. So if I could go back and tell myself anything, it would be chill the fuck out a little bit. Like you're burning yourself down in the process. And you know, luckily our body's resilient and I'm, I'm totally fine today, but I probably didn't need to push as hard as I did in order to be able to have our practice get to the point where it is today. But you can't neglect yourself because I probably would have been way more efficient if I would have just slept, you know, and continue to work out and continue to actually uh, eat somewhat quality food. Uh, but in the process, I didn't. And I just worked like you wouldn't believe for about two years. And then finally, it all kind of hit me and I got really sick. And then I started to realize, like, I'm telling all these people, you know, that you should make these decisions to get healthy in our practice. It was very hypocritical. I'm like, you got to sleep and you got to, you know, move and you got to move often and well. And here I am, like, not doing any of this stuff and just kind of like burning myself down. So I understand that, you know, your business is important, but your body is, is the thing that you can't change. In fact, that's what takes us around the world. So you got to take care of that as well. Yeah, I think that's so important. And especially that was perfect advice for PT students as well, because a lot of those things, yeah. you know, grad students neglect sleep, eating well, working out, and it's not just the constant studying um, all the time. So on top of that, would you give another you know, piece of advice to a current student or an aspiring PT student who's been accepted to school and they're listening to this? Like, What advice would you give? Honestly, I would, I would give very similar advice. My time in PT school was just like trying not to fail. I feel like I did fine in school, but I had to work really hard you know, in order to, to get pretty decent grades. And I felt like there's a lot of people around me in school that are just way smarter than I was from a, from a test taking standpoint in particular. And so I had to study a lot and put a lot of time in, um, you know, that more so than friends of mine that I'm just like, dude, how are you playing volleyball two nights a week? Like, how's this work? You know, and, and, but they, they had figured it out better than I did in terms of time management. I don't think I was very good at managing my time um, until like the last, about the last year I was in school, I started realizing you know, I'm very efficient at certain times of the day and not at others. So what I noticed was I'm very efficient in the mornings. Like I got up at 430 this morning, I'll get work done. I do that every morning. I, I just work until my kids wake up and um, I can sort of zone out. Nobody bothers me. I'm, I'm efficient in the morning. I suck in the evening. So now I don't do anything in the evenings. I try not to. I'm just not very effective and I'll wake up early and I'll actually work on stuff when I know I'm actually efficient. So part of this really is figuring out like when you work the most effectively. So we think of like duration and density, right? So like the duration of work you get done and the density of work you get done are two different things. So if you can find time where you're more efficient and you can get more productive work done in a shorter period of time than allotting a bunch of time at a time you're not productive, um, you know, you're going to be better off with that shorter amount of time where you are more effective as it's just like your mind is more effective and you learn better. Part of that is trial and error. You got to figure it out for yourself. Not everybody's the same. You know, for me, 
I didn't know it would be early in the morning. I just stopped. I just started trying to beat traffic. And so I'd show up to work or I would show up to school early and I was studying the library and I was like, dude, I'm like doing way better. I should just keep doing this. And that's what happened. So I wish I would have figured that out when the first year I was at school. And for the people who like don't know what really works for them, is there something in particular you did besides that where you like discovered it or was it just by luck you just happened to try to beat traffic and that was it? Like 100% luck. There's two things that helped me a ton in school. One is that. The other thing is we have, we had, and I think most PT schools have people like this. There are certain people in your class that will make these elaborate study guides because it helps them study. And we had two or three people in our class that would make these elaborate study guides and they learn best by teaching other people what they learned. So I would always, if, if it, it was like one of our uh, classmates, Tyson Kovach, he's still in the army. He's actually at Fort Bragg. You know, he would show up like early before tests and he would have these elaborate study guides and I would show up and then another guy, his name's Jeff Pascal, he would show up and he had three kids while we we're in school. So he was tired of shit. He'd show up with a big cup of coffee and he had been up all night dealing with their kids, right? And we'd sit down and we'd say, all right, Tyson, it'd be like four o'clock in the morning. We had a test at 8.30. Like, listen, you need to teach us what we need to know. Let's do it. And then he would, he would go over all these study guides. We'd sit there in this open kind of quad that's where the school was at. And we would we'd learn as much as we possibly could. And then we'd go take the test. And Jeff would always beat me on the test. This is how I knew that I wasn't a sm- very smart compared to other people in the class because I know Jeff was sleep deprived with three kids and he didn't study at all. He'd show up. Tyson would teach him, teach us the same stuff and he would always crush me on a test. So, you know, like that stuff helped me a lot. So if you can, if you can find somebody that is, you know, they learn best by explaining things and you learn best by hearing things. Like it can be a really good study partner to find. And that's, that's what I found. Luckily for me, people like that in our class were, were uh, helpful and uh, help. it wasn't for them. Jeff and I probably wouldn't have made it through school. Yeah. I yeah, think that's so vital. Go ahead, Gabby. I was going to say, yeah, finding a study group is so important. And even if you're an individual studier, I know I have to go over the material by myself enough um, before I, you know, talk about it in a group, but having that's so important, but I'm impressed right before tests. But I mean, if you allot enough time, like the information is fresh, so it makes sense. But yeah, that's, that's great. Find a good study group. This is what we did. Well, I don't know. It worked, but I probably wouldn't do that again. It was a stressful way to try to get through school. I think no matter how you try to get through school, it's going to be stressful. So finding what works. I agree. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. And where can people find you on social media? Um, It's just Danny Matei PT uh, is the handle for me. Instagram is where I'm probably the easiest person to get or place to get in contact with me. Um, you can shoot me a message there. Our practice is athletes potential. You can look that up if you're interested in kind of seeing the model that that we, you know, practice. Um, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Easiest place would be Instagram. Just hit me up, whether it's a direct message or tag me in a story. If you listen to this, whatever, and uh, we can connect. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on Danny and giving up some of your time to be with us this morning. We greatly appreciate it. For sure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Gratitude, the grad school guide for student physical therapists. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our Instagram and Facebook page linked in the description.